Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. On this week's episode, I'm going to share with you a speech I just gave this past Tuesday to the North Dakota Petroleum Council. Now, this was really exciting for me since North Dakota is the home of the shale oil boom, also known as the uh, fracking boom, at least the fracking for oil boom. And I live in California, which seems to have enormous potential in terms of hydraulic fracturing and using other technologies such as horizontal drilling, etc., to get an estimated 15 billion barrels of recoverable oil. But in California, we have very regressive policies which are making this uh, quite unlikely. But in North Dakota, they have unleashed this boom, and it's really an amazing place, amazing energy. I was actually in the east, eastern side of North Dakota. Uh, the oil boom is in the west, but still there was this great energy, and everyone from the participants, even the politicians, just had a, had a great spirit about them and really appreciated industry. I, I'd say definitely the most capitalist pro-industry place I've ever been. Anyway, it was really exciting audience. Uh, the speech was very well received, and I hope you enjoy it, and I will talk to you on the other side. Power Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with our next speaker. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. I hope you have some uh, good food there, some good conversation here at lunch. My name is Eric DeLay. I'm the DOE Resources. I'm the Government Relations Director and I'm also on the Executive Committee of the North Dakota Petroleum Council. And uh, it's going to be my distinct honor uh, to introduce our keynote speaker today, Alex Epstein. Uh, Alex is the president and founder of the Center for Industrial Progress. Alex is an expert in energy and industrial policy. His writings on energy and energy policy have been published in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Professor Business Daily, and dozens of other uh, prominent publications. He has become the leading free market energy debater he has debated Bill McKibben, who, if you don't know Bill, he's the person that's trying to divest, uh, institution, telling institutional investors to divest of their fossil fuel stocks. Uh, he's debated Greenpeace, Occupy Wall Street, and other environmentalist groups. He's a principal blogger for Master Resource, uh, the leading free market energy blog. Alex's monthly podcast, Power Hour, uh, features discussions on leading energy or discussions with uh, leading energy thinkers. Alex's uh, writings on philosophy, business, and energy have been featured in 10 books, including most recently, Why Businessmen Need Philosophy. Uh, he's also uh, enjoys Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, so I'm, uh, I'm willing to walk down dark alleys and grand force with him because of that. So, um, but uh, Alex would really want everybody to be interactive on this, so it's a large crowd, but please be thinking of questions. He wants to have participation, I think, to get the full uh, benefit 
of his uh, expertise, we need to do that. And uh, really just put on your thinking caps. And I've asked him to challenge us as an industry uh, on how we move forward in the pocket. So please welcome Alex. So we're here to talk about uh, industry stand-up for yourself. Uh, but, so often I give this, not this talk, but similar talks uh, to the oil industry and, and challenge them, and Eric, Eric mentioned that. Uh, but there's part of me because uh, I'm really, well, can you see my shirt? Can you like my shirt? So I do love fossil fuels for reasons that, that will become clearer and clearer, I think. And, and for me, North Dakota is, as I tweeted this week, the most progressive state in America. Now, most people might not agree with that, or they might think progressive in a different way, but if you look at what state has contributed the most to its own progress, to American progress, and what state has the policies that are most conducive to progress, and industrial progress, or the Center for Industrial Progress, uh, it's undoubtedly North Dakota, uh, and I've gotten the opportunity lately to talk a lot in the media about fracking. Um, I had a Forbes column, uh, I just trying to remember exactly, yeah, if California gets its fracking act together, a boom awaits. And this is about the Monterey Shale potential play in the uh, but instead of having rational property rights respecting the policies like North Dakota has, we have incredibly irrational politicians who have basically two competing uh, approaches to fracking. One group wants to make it illegal, the other group wants to make it impossible with regulations. Uh, and I got, I got the chance earlier this week, or was it, it was, it was last Friday, we'll say. Don't do it yet. <laughs> anyone ever watch Fox and Friends? Did anyone see me on Fox and Friends? I'll give so I, I got to go on Fox and Friends. Now Fox and Friends, for anyone who knows, is a, it's a very popular morning show. It starts at 6 a.m. Pacific time. No, 6 a.m. Eastern time. Unfortunately, I live in Orange County, California, which meant that it is 3 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. But because I love fossil fuels and I also love media exposure, uh, I went on to talk about uh, fracking. I want to play this clip because it, it stresses two ideas that I think are really crucial to the industry standing up for itself that I don't believe that you've heard in this form. And so that the two crucial issues, and throughout my talk, I'm going to really say the key to standing up for yourself are these two crucial ideas. One is the idea that industry, that the oil industry literally creates resources, literally creates resources. And the other idea is that the oil industry improves our environment. So creates resources, improves our environment. I'm going to argue that this is, these two ideas are really the key to countering the environmentalists and the key to my success in countering, uh, in countering environmentalists. All right. Well, fracking is being called a modern-day gold rush. The technique uses high-pressure water mixtures to literally fracture rocks and collect the oil and gas inside, reducing the need for foreign oil. With so many opportunities to frack in the United States, could this technology be a new path to American wealth? Alex Epstein, founder of the Center for Industrial Progress, joins us now. Alex, nice to see you this morning. Great to be here. Now, you say fracking is the greatest technolo uh, t technological revolution since the computer. 
That is a bold statement as a, as a fan of the computers and iPads and everything else. Back that up for us. Okay, well, I decided to bring a prop with me. And so this is the object of fracking, which is just a seemingly worthless piece of rock, right? So imagine I told you we can figure out a way to, to charge your iPhone with this or to run your car. Wouldn't that be the most amazing innovation? And that's exactly what fracking is. It takes worthless rock, and we have more than a Texas-sized uh, amount of this stuff and turns it into life-giving energy, which is the foundation of all progress in economic growth. Well, one of the big stories this week is that this, fra this fracking technology is really trickling down and helping Americans put keep more money in their own pocket. In fact, take a look at some of these numbers. The disposable household income up by about $1,200 in some of these high fracking states with lower energy bills, economic growth upwards of $283 billion, uh, federal and state tax payments up by $74 billion. The skeptical person out there saying, wait a minute, is this really going to affect my own wallet? Is fracking really going to help me save more money and live a better life? Yeah, it's understandable because, you know, there are all kinds of studies that come out every day making all sorts of wild claims. But if we understand the importance of energy in an economy, it's very clear that an energy revolution is a revolution for every individual. So energy is the industry that powers every other industry. So no matter what you're doing in life and no matter what product you're using, cheaper energy means a lower cost of life, means more prosperity for everyone. Now, what about, the, of course, the environmental concerns and some of the higher fracking states? We've heard, of, of course, from uh, environmentalists out there who say that this is absolutely dangerous to our drinking water. And this is something that we don't want in our backyards. Take a look at some of the states where there's big concerns. Montana, North Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, California, and Louisiana. These are high fracking states. And also uh, Pennsylvania on that list as well. Uh, for an area that has uh, done quite a bit of fracking. What, is, what do you say to those who argue against it? Yeah, my view is exactly the opposite. Uh, fracking is actually incredibly good for our environment. And there's, there's two reasons. One is that this rock right here, this exists 5,000 feet away from groundwater. So the last thing that's going to contaminate your groundwater is a fracking operation. But number two, look at the places in the world with the best environments. They're the places that use the most energy because nature doesn't give us a clean environment. We have to clean it up. That takes a lot of energy to purify the water, to grow crops, to make the world a better place. And that's why I titled my book, Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet. Hmm. In fact, the Environmental Protection Agency, excuse me, the EPA, easy for me to say this morning, found that no evidence that fracking contaminates gravel in that recent report. Uh, Alex Epstein, it'll be interesting to see if we get lower energy bills across this country as a result of fracking, if it takes hold. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. So I don't know you really like watching myself on TV too much, but I just wanted to, I think that was, that was a pretty clear presentation of, of how I often argue to the general public and how I teach students and how I teach businesses to argue in terms of you know, taking the high ground on two issues. So one is this issue that's often called uh, sustainability, uh, which I think is, and we could talk a lot about the history of that, and anyone wants to ask the question here, this actually dates back to Karl Marx. It's actually a Marxist concept. But the idea that it's somehow wrong to use a finite resource, and instead we should use supposedly infinite things like uh, solar and wind, and thus, you know, we're going to run out of oil and this and that, and so we shouldn't use it, and it's, it's unsustainable. Uh, and my view is that this is a completely wrong uh, view of resources. Because actually, you know, we think of oil, we often hear of, of oil as a resource, 
But oil actually isn't a natural resource. Why do I say that? Well, because naturally oil, oil isn't naturally a resource. It's not, it's naturally worthless. I mean, what was the Bakken 40 years ago in terms of most of the oil today? We couldn't do anything with it. Well, why, why is it a resource now? Because all of you and everyone else in your industry created new value through human ingenuity. So what you did was you turned a non-resource into a resource. So you're a resource-creating, value-creating industry. And if someone says that's unsustainable, that's the only thing that's sustainable. The only thing that's sustainable is for human beings to keep figuring out ways to create new resources. So you are a value-creating, resource-creating, progressive industry. Give yourselves a round of applause. Number two, uh, environment. I indicated it here, uh, but there's this, you know, you often hear the oil industry is dirty. Well, and it doesn't really mean, this is coming from environmentalists, it doesn't really mean there's dirt associated with it because you know, a lot of environmentalists uh, are hippies and hippies love rolling around in the dirt, right? But it's, it's this idea that it's fundamentally bad for our environment. I'm gonna go into the climate issue in a little depth uh, later, but if you just look overall, if you ask yourself, well, if it's so bad for our environment, is our environment better or worse now than it was 50 years ago? That's a real question. Yeah. Was it better 50 years ago or 100 years ago? 50. 50, okay. You can go back to the beginning of fossil fuels about 301, 302 years ago. Our environment has gotten progressively better as we've used more and more fossil fuels. And it's gotten dramatically better in the last 50 years when we've used the most, when fossil fuel use is increasing the most. So why is this? Well, as I mentioned in that video, there's this fallacy that, that nature gives us a good environment and human beings mess up our environment. And that's actually the opposite of the truth. Nature gives us the potential for a good environment, but actually it gives us a very nasty environment, a very hazardous environment. That's why historically people live till the age of 30. So a good environment consists of two things. One is you want as few environmental threats as possible, and the other is you want as many resources in your environment as possible. Now I mentioned you create enormous amounts of resources, so we have a much more lush environment, including we have a lot of food where people used to starve, and that's primarily thanks to the oil industry, which provides you know, through gas, fertilizer, and then through diesel uh, mechanized agriculture. Nobody ever thanks, you know, when I was a kid, everyone said, well, Everyone said they wanted to solve world hunger, but nobody told us that the oil industry had actually solved world hunger, which is pretty is pretty amazing. Uh, but more broadly, it's just to get to deal with. So you create resources, but you also eliminate a lot of the threats. So let's think about something like drought. Uh, we hear in the media a lot, oh, fossil fuels are creating drought, and what they love to do with all these stories is. They take the fact that there are a million good and a million bad things going on on the earth and the climate at any, any given moment, and every day they just pick 10 bad ones and blame it on fossil fuels, which is not exactly objective journalism. And they say drought is a problem. Well, how do you tell if drought is a problem? Maybe you should look at how many people are dying from drought. Well, in the last 80 years, as we've increased our use of fossil fuels dramatically, dramatically, 
as we've increased the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere from all of 0.03% to all of 0.04%, what's happened to drought-related deaths? Well, thanks to oil power agriculture and also oil power transportation, which gives us like an international food network where you can, if you have a drought, you can alleviate it. Drought-related deaths have gone down 99.98%. And you guys get a lot of the credit for that, and yet nobody mentions it. Uh, a former roommate of mine once said, you know, in the past in California, if we had a drought, we would die. Now it means that the price of my strawberries go up by a dollar. Which is, it is pretty basic. So, you guys improve our environment. So again, give yourselves a round of applause. Now, so the reason I became, you know, I love fossil fuels and all this stuff is just because my, my background was as a philosopher and I always like trying to think things through very clearly. Uh, and even as a teenager, I saw environmentalism and I thought, I don't like the way that they think about things because they seem to think that all of human activity and all of industry is bad for our environment, but obviously, those things are amazingly good. So even though obviously accidents can happen, hazards exist, it's a heck of a lot better changing the world around us using industry than leaving it alone and, and dying at 30. And what was helpful is because, because I wasn't spending all my time actually producing things, which is obviously so important and which I'm so grateful that others do, I could spend a lot of time thinking over all the arguments and honestly getting really, really good at being environmentalists. In, in arguments. And so that's part of what I'm here to, to share today. And th those two ideas I found very helpful. Now, environmentalists are not too fond of me because these environment, these arguments turn out to be very powerful against them. This week I, I woke up on Thursday uh, and a friend of mine from climatedepot.com, Mark Morano, told me that uh, I had been elected to the top 10 global warming deniers by the authoritative publication Rolling Stone. <laughs> now, I joke about authoritative, but it, it sort of is. Uh, uh, Eric mentioned Bill McKibben. Bill McKibben, he's, this, he's arguably the most influential environmentalist. He writes primarily Rolling Stone. He had an article in 2012 that introduced the divestment movement in which he called the fossil fuel industry public enemy number one. So Rolling Stone has become very, very influential. Now, one interesting thing about this article is that it did not state the fact that I actually believe in global warming in the sense of the mild global warming that's occurred in the past 150 years that's coincided with uh, actually a record few number of climate-related deaths. I'll, I'll explain that a little more later, but essentially think of climate the same way we think of environment. Environment is naturally very dangerous, we have to make it safe. Climate is naturally dangerous, we have to make it safe. So actually, the more fossil fuels we use, regardless of whether the temperature goes up a little bit or not, we're far, far, far uh, safer. And think about, just as a concrete example, think about a fossil fuel civilization like ours versus a place like Haiti that uses very few fossil fuels. You don't really care what the average temperature is, but you really want to be in the US. And also in the US, this is kind of a common sense point that I don't think we think about. We're, we're so afraid of every climate, we're so afraid of climate change as if 
climate doesn't change all the time. But in the U.S., we live in every single climate imaginable. Everyone was telling me, oh, you're coming from California, North Dakota, it's going to be so bad. Well, it might be a little bit of a change, but we as Americans thrive. We can live in any climate imaginable and live to eight. So that just shows that what you're doing by producing energy and fueling technology, that's the key to a healthy and safe climate, not trying to magically keep the Earth at some uh, perfect temperature as if that uh, ever existed. Anyway, they did not like me, so they didn't acknowledge that at my actual view. But I was very flattered because I got to be in the company of, I got to be number four. Uh, so there are the Koch brothers, there, there's uh, you know, the representative, there's Jack Gerard, who's the president of API, and then uh, I was there. And I'll, I'll read this just because it's, it goes to this issue of standing up for yourself. Um, and they actually didn't say anything false. The youthful Epstein tours college campuses debating environmentalists and promoting the benefits of oil and coal to modern society. Fossil fuels improve the planet. By the way, my book, um, I have some free copies to give away if people will actually read them or distribute them in their companies. Uh, fossil fuels improve the planet with the title of his April talk at Vassar. Recently, he turned the Tesla Model S coal car because the electricity in an electric car must come from somewhere, and that somewhere is usually fossil fuels. And in April, this is supposed to be incriminating. And in April, Epstein told the Canadian oil industry gathering, thank you for producing the lifeblood of civilization. So some people asked legitimately, what the heck is my name doing on there? Um, and I don't know exactly, but I think that part of it is that they're a little bit afraid because what I'm trying to do with ILO Fossil Fuels Center for Industrial Progress, my work, is not just you know, not sort of give people money in the background and not lobby, but really educate people and empower them so that they can become champions of, of fossil fuels. And that's, that's really uh, one of the concepts that I'm going to stress today. So a champion is, is just a passionate and compelling advocate for a cause, in this case for fossil fuel uh, freedom. And the reason they're afraid of, of champions are because right now they sort of have a monopoly on passion. You see the environmentalists and they hold all these protests and you know, there's all of this righteous indignation or uh, they pretend to be optimistic about windmills and solar panels and this kind of thing. But on our side, there isn't that much passion. So what, what's happening is passion is being met by kind of an emotionally muted cause. And But if passion is met by passion, and the other side, our side, is much more intelligent and clear. That's really bad news uh, for Rolling Stone and anyone else who, well, it's good news if they really want to survive and have a good civilization, but it's bad news for their political agenda. The other thing about champions are if you're really a champion, if you know how to persuade other people, you're self-replicating. So you can turn other people around. And a lot of what we work with, with just our following, but also working with businesses, is how to create champions among their, their employees and then also people outside. And it's just, it's amazing how infectious champions can be. Now let me ask, what, did, uh, what are we doing for time since I took about 25 minutes on technological issues? We're good, 20 minutes. Well, we have 20 minutes left, so it's 25 after? Okay, now, I've been told by uh, a good authority, Ron Ness, that this is a very uh, quiet audience and that I'm going to have trouble getting you engaged. Uh, 
Uh, I refuse to believe that. So, but I have, I have a question for you. So at first, all I'll need is a show of hands. I want you to ask yourself, how good is industry in standing up for itself and creating champions? And I should say, if you're in communications, you're not allowed to get offended by anyone's answer. So nobody hold back because you're going to get fired. Easy for me to say, but. Um, so how good is industry at creating, standing up for itself and creating champions? So your options are very good, pretty good, pretty bad, very bad. All right, who's, and everyone has to vote insofar as I can make you. Uh, who's voting, who votes for very good? I, I don't even, just based on this, I wouldn't even, even assume human beings had hands, because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how many people would say pretty good? say pretty bad. Oh, I planned the rest of the speech, but I'm going to say very good, so I don't even know uh, Who would say very bad? I didn't vote. Um, well, the reason I didn't vote, I would say in a certain sense, pretty bad or very bad, but I, I think it's very important to realize that it is extremely your industry is being put in an extremely difficult and ultimately unfair position in terms of having to tell its story. So the, the proper division of labor in a society is that you should be producing the oil and the educationalists and the media should be telling people why it's great to produce oil. That's their job. They have completely defaulted on the job and they have a whole army of people who spend their whole lives learning how to distort, distort the truth and miseducate people. So while you're brilliant and business, spending your whole life getting brilliant at producing oil, they're getting brilliant at producing really, really bad and destructive arguments as to why you shouldn't be able to produce oil. So when I say anything critical, um, it's from the standpoint of, I'm saying it from the perspective of someone who's had the time to spend on this, but what I do is only possible because of what you do. So if I say, I'm going to say some critical things, but it's not from the perspective of, oh, you should have just known this or you should have figured it out. It's, it's hard to figure out. It took me a long time to figure out, and I'm just saying it uh, to be helpful. But in terms of very bad, I think that's actually good news. Because if we can get, if we're as free as we are with very bad communication, imagine how good it would be with very good communication. Whereas if we were already very good, if we had already maxed out what's possible, we'd be in big, big trouble. So I'm always happy when there's a big room for improvement. Because if we don't take things personally, that just means we have opportunity. So I'm not going to be able to go through all this, but I just want to give you some indications. Of, these are people that we've turned in, into champions, and none of these people had any affiliation with the fossil fuel industry uh, at all. So this, this uh, I'll just read an excerpt. This is from a lawyer, and she's a, described herself as a left-leaning lawyer, and they had the social responsible option on their portfolio, it didn't include oil. So she says, knowing Alex's arguments for the life-giving properties of oil, imagine how my blood started boiling at the insinuation that it is somehow irresponsible to invest in oil. And she says, investing in oil is one of the more socially responsible things I can do. Now, you don't hear many liberals saying this, but my contention is if you keep explaining to them, to them the right way, and if you explain that if they care about environmental issues, they should really value the oil industry, not be hostile to it. It's possible to get them really enthusiastic. So there's just one here. Um, 
since the technical difficulties, I, I just run through these. But there's one who uh, he was at Rice, and he had no interest in, in oil, even though it's a, you know, it's a pretty good oil school. Uh, but he went into he's pursuing a PhD in, math, in applied mathematics, and he decided to go into the oil industry. So you guys didn't have to do anything to recruit him, but because he heard the good arguments and the story told the right way, he himself wanted to go in. We've got a lot, we've got a lot of people who've written me that because of the book or because of other stuff they've gone in. And, and a lot of it comes back to those two ideas of being a resource creation industry, being an environmental improving industry. Because once you get those issues out of the way, once you show they're actually in your favor, all the arguments about jobs and economics, the, the whole ground is cleared. And it's clear that fundamentally you're a moral industry that improves the planet. Uh, so this is a guy in economics, which tends to have a lot of environmentalist types. He's going into economics to be a champion. And he even calls himself a champion, I think. He says, uh, I consider myself a champion. I now consider myself a champion of the energy industry, which makes me something of an outsider in my graduate program. But because he knows he's a champion, he can convert people in his graduate program. I'll read this one in full, because this is, this is one of the most heartening experiences we had. I was at Vassar College. Uh, they invited me to speak on on this divestment movement, I was very happy to, and a bunch of the, the guys there staged the walkout to try to embarrass me. Uh, you can actually, you can look this up online if, if you want. I don't embarrass too easily. Um, and anyway, but this was this was good because it just showed that by giving the right example, even to a hostile audience, we won them over, we changed the campus. So before Alex Epstein's lecture, no other students on my campus could imagine an environmental or moral defense of the fossil fuel industry. Now, weeks later, I'm amazed at how they now defend the industry. The moderates tell me the decision to invite Epstein was the best thing we could have done. The Greens affiliated with 350.org walked out on Epstein's lecture faced an immediate campus backlash bigger than I've ever seen. We thought these environmentalists were undefeatable for the past three years, but now, two weeks later, I can say they're no longer a powerful force on campus. That's pretty cool, right? Um, okay, and this guy talks about something I just want to show you quickly, which is the I Love Fossil Fuel campaign. The reason I'm showing these things is because uh, I, these are all fundamentally not about me or my organization. They're about the ideas and the approach which any organization can adapt, uh, adopt. And the people that we've taught become really, really good at this uh, too. But I love fossil fuels is an interesting thing because I just decided when McKibben put out that article, we ought to put out something to just completely contradict fossil fuels public enemy number one. So I said, all right, let's just do I love fossil fuels. We made this graphic and we said, hey, submit your pictures on why you love fossil fuels. And these were people outside the industry. Uh, but they, they sent some cool stuff and it's ilovefossilfuels.com or Facebook slash ilovefossilfuels. And I want you to notice with these how there's a focus on the oil industry being a creative industry and an environmental improving industry, right? But these are very profound. These are very rich. So they're notice they're emotional, but they're also ideologically rich. And I didn't do any of these. These just came from people who knew the ideas. Uh, so before fossil fuels, after fossil fuels, which looks like a better environment? This one's a little sadder, but this puts the whole carbon footprint thing into perspective. It shows who really cares about the planet. This is the North Korea, South Korea, without fossil fuels, with fossil fuels. Yeah, this one, 29 was borrowed. So life expectancy before fossil fuel industry was, before the fossil fuel industry was 
was 30. So these celebrities should be, you know, who are so youthful and beautiful should be very grateful because you know, they'd be a lot more ragged or not alive. Now this was made by a 13-year-old <laughs> who learned that part of the way you improve the planet is by synthesizing all these amazing materials using oil. This is iHeart Fossil Fuels with the artificial heart, which is in part of a petroleum product. This is an energy density point. This is a really important one. You got it? Natural resources are going to run out of Why do we run out of them? Because we're fundamentally resource creators. So this person gets that point. That's why he loves fossil fuels. My all-time favorite. <laughs> 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 it's, it's really, it's really true. I want you to notice they make new intellectual points and they're emotionally compelling. These are guys who are just using like little picture generators on the internet. Imagine if API, for example, uh, ever did anything like this. Not to single out API, but it's, you know, they have a lot of money. Oh, this is one more. Behold the despoiled wasteland created by Friday. Doesn't, doesn't look too bad. So we, we talked about these two ideas. The industry progressively creates new resources. Industry improves our environment. I want to stress that it's important to use these, and it's also important to recognize that the industry does not use these right now. It uses the opposite of these. So for example, when the industry is called dirty, its first response is not to say, no, we're healthy. Every industry, obviously, you know, deals with waste, we deal with it really well, but we're fundamentally making the world amazing. They say, oh, we're not, we got 2% less dirty last year. And that's what I call arguing to zero. Because if you frame it as we're dirty, but trying to become less dirty, you're starting at negative 100, and your best case scenario is zero. Whereas if you start off with healthy, and you're arguing to 100, then you show that, yes, you're becoming cleaner and cleaner, but that's not the same thing as you're, as you're dirty. So you're becoming healthier and healthier, and if you, uh, I've read through just about every oil website, this happens constantly, it's always, always bragging about becoming less dirty, and that inspires no one in the solar industry, the wind industry, create tons of waste, and they never brag that way, they're always talking about, we're making the world a better place, and it's generally, generally, generally untrue, but rhetorically it's the proper position, but it's true for you, so you should be talking about how you're actually doing something uh, healthy. And then in terms of unsustainable, I hear way too much about how, oh, it's society's resource, even, like, it's, there, there's a lot to say about details, like, I don't like talking about reclamation, because it implies that it's somehow bad to take something that's essentially useless and turn it into an artificial heart. And I say, when you take oil from underground, you turn it to an artificial heart, or a plastic bag, for that matter, a tire on the car, or a honeymoon, that is an improvement. And you should be proud of that. You shouldn't be primarily bragging about how you're low, you have a low footprint. There's nothing wrong with the footprint. There's everything right with the footprint. And I think, uh, you know, I think an oil rig is a, hell of a lot more beautiful than another empty field. So that's, uh, you know, whether you want to say that as the first item in your brochure is one question. But you need to realize that you are making that what you're doing is a beautiful thing in the world. And human beings are natural. We're not unnatural. Well, why do we allow ourselves to be treated as these alien creatures who are ruining the earth? If anyone outside, if a, if a Martian looked at the earth, 
You wouldn't say, oh, everything else is natural and beautiful, and those human beings are unnatural. You'd say, wow, those, are, those guys build the best nests. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. You're improving the planet. If you look at, at the existing communications, you'll see it's just defensive, defensive, defensive. And I think the um, political official this morning mentioned, I can't quote it exactly, but uh, something like, if you're playing defense, like the, the, uh, the logical consequence of defense is defeat. And if you're being defensive in that way, you do get defeated. They just keep, they keep taking the high ground and they don't deserve the high ground. And we've proven that it doesn't work to take the low ground and we've proven that you can take uh, the high ground. So these are just some nice graphs showing you what you're actually doing to the world. These are CO2 emissions in life expectancy. Okay. This is this is CO2 emissions in world GDP. See any correlation there? People say CO2 emissions, you know, we should be proud of reducing them. It doesn't look like that from this graph. It looks like they're a marker of productivity. And now my favorite statistic is what happens as you use more and more coal, oil, and natural gas? What happens to climate safety? What happens to climate-related deaths? You see any pattern? So black is how many, uh, CO2 emissions, and red is climate-related deaths. So you're making the climate a far safer place. So to end, I'm going to make an advertisement, although for something free. Uh, my, my goal with the oil industry, besides in my own work and my, my company's work to change in our own, we work a lot with oil companies uh, to turn them into, into oil champions. And, you know, we, it's a, a for-profit company, so we have different clients and stuff, but what I want to focus on today is that every member of the industry can become an oil champion. Now, I think that your companies uh, should, you know, can do a lot, and I think every company should buy our book and give it to people, but you on your own, uh, are, can be very much empowered just based on resources that we have. So um, we have what's called an oil champion kit, and it's completely free. All you have to do is text your name and email to this phone number, and what we'll give you is the ebook version of this, which is makes these arguments very powerfully, and you can send it to anyone. And then just a number of podcasts on all kinds of different aspects of the industry making the argument. So. Uh, I'm going to put pressure on you by just taking 45 seconds to stand, stand here silently while you type in uh, that email, uh, that uh, your email address to that phone number. But it's it's very very important because I wish, as I said, it's difficult to be a champion. Or I think we're making it easier, but it's necessary. Even in this state, which is the best, we have these controversies over flaring, which I don't think people know how to talk about, which I call safety flaring. Flaring is viewed as waste. I view it as a safety measure. I mean, it is a safety measure, uh, first and foremost. There's a lot of things, even in North Dakota, as good as it is, with the environmentalist groups trying to, trying to stop what you have here, let alone in the states that many of your companies are affiliated with. So it's no longer, it's no longer an option whether we get uh, involved in this. And if we can get, you know, if college students around the country can be, be activists on your behalf, you can be activists on your behalf. And we're giving you the tools to do it. There's no cost except for your time and your energy, which is a cost, but I think that that cost is worth it. Uh, so with that, please, uh, please uh, enter in your information. Please start to become more of an oil champion. And just, 
I forget what I said that, that I forget exactly what I said that Rolling Stone thought was bad, but thank you for producing the lifeblood of civilization. I hope you enjoyed the speech. Um, wanted to stress a couple of points before we close. One is something that I really like about Power Hour in particular, but I think is an important lesson in general, which is the power of repeated exposure to ideas. Uh, certain followers of CIP, or, or certain follower isn't a word I like that much, uh, but certain fans of CIP or certain students of CIP, so to speak, have become really incredibly articulate at addressing these issues. I think more articulate than most professionals in the field. And when I ask them how they became so clear, inevitably they listen to this show. And I think it's it's because they're they're listening to every week, hearing the best way we know of to frame these issues, to think about these issues, as well as new, new and very useful and important facts all the time. And that combination, I think, really over time becomes an education. It becomes an education, and it becomes an education that someone can internalize. And when I give these speeches, I'm really gratified by the response. But particularly if you were at the speech, I would encourage you to... To, if you like that speech, keep looking at more of our materials. Read Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet. Listen to uh, Power Hour. Read the pieces on Forbes. And you'll see that over time, there's much more to it than you might think. And the thing that made you respond positively to the speech, uh, th there's a lot of, of depth to it in terms of really ultimately a very different moral and philosophical view of fossil fuels, of energy, and of our environment. And it's part of the reason why part of what we do at CIP is work directly with companies in, in a consulting capacity or strategic capacity to work directly on their, their strategy, their communications, their projects, uh, because that way not only can they get an in-depth education, but they can also get the fruits of, of our education, which is necessarily uh, something that you know, we've been doing this kind of thing longer in terms of making the moral case, turning opponents into supporters. And it's really gratifying to bring that experience to bear on concrete projects because these concrete projects are often for companies or associations that are reaching millions of people. And to improve those communications is just an incredibly high leverage thing for all involved. So any of you who are in industry and who have interest in, in that sort of thing, who might be interested in working with CIP directly on communications, email adam at industrialprogress.net. That's adam, A-D-A-M, at industrialprogress.net. That's Adam Edmondson, uh, who handles coordination for these kinds of things. And that's uh, something that might interest you. In any case, though, the point about, about repeated learning stands so whether you know it's a client of CIP or a power hour listener, really being a power hour listener, we found is, is just such a, a powerful thing, no pun intended. Uh, now that you're listening, I, I hope you become a repeat listener. Just stick it on your iPhone, just stick it on your Android machine, and listen to it every week. You know, listen to it when you have downtime, and 
after five, six, seven weeks, let me know. Let me know how it's changed your thinking and communication, and hopefully you get some of the good results that other people do as well. One more note: if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, make sure to do so. It's at industrialprogress.com. We've been investing in it for a while, and and this week I invested even more. And I think it's it's something that's we have a great audience on it, and it's worth giving good content to. And the more people who are on it, the more good content we can generate. So if you're on it, if you're not on it, go to industrialprogress.com and enter your email in the newsletter box. If you are one of the, you might not believe it, but you can do so much good just by referring five, 10 people to that newsletter because it's like power hour. It's repeated exposure. Every week they'll get new information, new insights, but all based on the same basic philosophy and approach to communication that has made CIP so successful and that can make our cause so successful. So with that, as always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, email me directly at alex at industrialprogress.net. Next week, we'll be back with a new guest, a new show. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein, and this has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour, the antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.